Holy Gospel according to John, the 11th chapter. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So this, uh, this week, a lot of us were at the rostered leaders convocation at Lutheridge, and past, our bishop, Herman Yost, spoke and, uh, and preached on this gospel, and he did a great job. And uh, he said something that, that really made me think, and it's, it's words that I've heard for years, and I use this, this gospel text when I have the opportunity to, to, to pick my own text as the, the gospel for a lot of the funerals that I do, because it, it really is my favorite text for funerals. But he reminded me of something that, that I hadn't really completely thought of, why it was these words were so powerful to me. And you might notice, if you were reading along, that I deviated ever so slightly from what was printed on the page, and instead of Jesus began to weep, I used the good old words, Jesus wept. Part of it is, uh, is because, you know, People who, who are pastors and scholars never use two words where five will do. But, but I, the reason that I like these words so much is because of how powerful they are. Just by themselves, Jesus wept. And, and we think of this story, we, and when we talk about the story, what we call it is the raising of Lazarus. It's one in a series of signs that Jesus does throughout the Gospel of John, where, beginning with my favorite miracle, turning water into wine. And then he, he heals blind people and makes people who can't walk to walk and heals the sick and, does, and feeds 5,000 people with a couple loaves and a few fish and culminating in this miracle that is a sign above all others that even the dead obey the voice of Jesus. <clears throat> even the dead cannot stay dead where God is present. And certainly, that is an amazing thing. And it's miraculous. And for those of us, and on All Saints Day, we remember the people that in our lives that we love and that we've lost, the people who are absent from our lives and the people for whom our hearts grieve. 
But as miraculous as it is to, to think about the resurrection and the majesty and the glory that is going to come in that, Jesus wept is in some ways a larger miracle to me. And the reason for this is that so often in our grief and in our pain and in our suffering when we've lost people, we, we feel alone. We feel by ourselves. That old saying, laugh and the world laughs with you and cry and you cry alone, right? And how often in our lives have we experienced that? I, uh, my grandfather died in 1997, the one who I was closest to, and there are still days where I feel his loss so keenly. And that's been, what, 18 years now, you know? Some days it just feels like it just happened because there are just those people that your heart does not let go of. And I remember for several years after he died, you know, we'd, we'd do Christmas dinner and we'd do Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, it was great, but it felt like there was this thing, this elephant in the room that none of us really wanted to talk about and we missed Grandpa. And one time I remember my cousin, who, who always felt this, I think, a lot more keenly than some of the rest of us, said, well, you know, are, are, is anyone else missing Grandpa? And to a person at the table, we all said, yeah. And then we began telling stories about him. You know, for, for a couple of years, we all kind of thought that, yeah, other people missed him, but, we didn't, but they didn't miss him like we did. And it turns out that everyone was missing him like everyone else. We're not so alone in our grief as what we expect. The, the idea of someone and being with us and standing with us and weeping with us is a holy place, holy ground, a space where God enters into our world, a lot of times through the people in our lives who are willing to weep with us and, and create a space where we experience the Holy Spirit. And what we see in, in these words, Jesus wept, is the idea that God is not so far off as he seems. And one of the amazing things about this gospel lesson that's not in today's readings is, first of all, the story starts out with Jesus hearing that Lazarus is sick and doing what seems at first a pretty callous thing. Jesus takes three days before he leaves the place where he is and travels another couple days to the place where they are. And I, I remember for a while it didn't make much sense to me that Jesus would wait for three days. He heard that Lazarus was sick. And I think even before I read this myself the first time, I knew the story that Lazarus is going to come. Spoiler alert. You know, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And so I was expecting Jesus to hear Lazarus is dying. He's sick. And Jesus saying, don't worry, I'm going to go and we're going to do something miraculous and you're never going to have to worry again. But instead, Jesus takes three days. And I wondered why. As, as I became more mature over the years, I realized that when you're going to do something big and important, you have to take time to prepare. You know, if you're a firefighter and you show up without your hose, no matter how experienced you are, it's not going to be a fire fought that day, right? So Jesus takes time with his friends and his disciples and I think spends time in prayer and gathers energy the same way that we all do. We pray and we hope and we prepare for those hard things in our lives. And then Jesus travels. And the other thing that's not in here is that Mary is not the first one to meet Jesus on the road. Martha is the first one to meet Jesus on the road. And Martha says to Jesus the exact same thing that Mary says, only we know from the other Gospels a little bit about Martha and realize that Martha and Mary are two very different people. Martha is the one who prepares very carefully for the guests. 
Martha was the one who, while Jesus was teaching, was in the kitchen making preparations for the meal and got angry with Mary for daring to not prepare the meal, but sitting instead at Jesus' feet, right? Martha was the one who wants things to be in order and had a certain way and probably labeled all the cupboards so that everyone knew where the dishes went. We may not have anyone like that here at Messiah, but I guarantee they do in Greenville. And, you know, so, so Martha comes to Jesus and says to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it doesn't say that it was an accusation, but my ear always hears it that way. And so Jesus says to her, do you believe that your brother will live again? And she says, well, yeah, I know that at, in the last days, the resurrection will happen and he'll live again. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And what, Mar- what Jesus saw that Martha needed was somebody to remind her that even though the world felt like it was upside down, like everything was crumbling around her, even though she felt like nothing was ever going to be the same and like her heart was going to break, she needed to be reminded that the world was still in order and that God was still in place. <coughs> and that the stars were not going to fall from the sky. And so Jesus said to her the words that she needed to hear, reminding her that the power of God is stronger than death, even though she didn't understand just how immediately that was going to be. And then Jesus met Mary in the road, or Mary met Jesus in the road, and said the same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary was a relationship person. Mary was somebody who was a show-me person, who, who didn't need words to remind her that the world was all in order, but, but she needed that company, that companionship, that kinship, that closeness that lets her know that she is loved and that even though things are bad, she is not alone. And so Jesus says to Mary, where have you laid him? And they give him the invitation, come and see. Jesus wept. It's telling to me that Jesus didn't just put on his cape and say, here I am to save the day. And fear not, women, you know, don't cry, don't mourn, crowd, hold your tears. We're getting ready to do something amazing here. Stand back. Things are about to get interesting. But instead, Jesus took time to deal with the reality and the seriousness and the, the realness of what was going on. Because God's promise is that we don't suffer alone, but God is with us. God is with us when we rejoice. God is with us when we weep. God is with us when we grieve and when we grieve and when we weep and when we wonder how the world is ever going to go on. God weeps with us. Because that's what family does. And that's what we are through the waters of baptism. The splash and the bite and the sip. We are the family of God, and we are a new creation, and we are a holy family. And in times when we've lost people we love and care about, and in times when pastors leave, and in times when we have conflict in our community, in times when, and I've been through this, when we go to church and we see people across the aisle and we wonder if we'll ever talk to them again, people we've known for years, we here in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our shame and pain and fear, 
Jesus wept. God is with you. And things may change, but where God is, new life springs up. Where God is, broken relationships are healed. Where God is, broken people are mended. Where God is, sins are forgiven. Blind people see. Hungry people have food. And even the dead cannot remain in their tombs because this is what happens when the creation is in the presence of the Creator in the midst of our death and pain. God declares that here is where my new kingdom begins and even death can't hold me back. The story of Lazarus is our story. Our story when we are feeling broken and frustrated and afraid and in pain the promise of new life, that God is working in us and through us and among us and within us and around us, promising us that we are not alone, promising us that sometimes things will continue to be different and things may never be the same. And we all know, those of us who have lived more than about five minutes, that this is just part of life, right? But the promise that's the difference between the promise of the world and the promise of God is that when we laugh, the whole world might laugh with us. But in the family of God, when we cry, we do not cry alone. Amen.